Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that we do in our practice, often exploring the things that we don't really talk about a whole lot in our fields. We hear from our listeners quite often, like, you guys are the ones who are having these conversations that nobody else really is. And so we're always glad when we are able to kind of circle around to some conversations that are even new for us to talk about. And we haven't really dived in in any sort of depth to counter-transference and working with that and even being able to identify that and helping us with our discussion on this is Dr. Amy Myers, LCSW. And Really glad to have you helping us lead this conversation today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. The first question we ask everyone who comes on our podcast is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Well, who am I is a, is a very deep question, <laughs> um, but who am I for the purposes of this? Uh, I am a professor of social work at Malloy University on Long Island. And I am also a psychodynamic psychotherapist um, with 30 years of practice experience, and I maintain a small private practice in Manhattan. And now I guess I join the world of podcasters because I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary of my own podcast that focuses, I'll tell you all about that at the end, it is called What Would Dr. Myers Do? But um, it focuses on countertransference. So how fitting is it that I'm here to talk about countertransference? <laughs> So one of the things that we ask is kind of a learning process, uh, not to shame anybody, but what do therapists usually get wrong in working with transference and countertransference? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think it's about not being aware of oneself and in order to be aware of other people and their transference, you have to be aware of your Countertransference. So, is it okay if I back that up to what is countertransference? Because yeah. <laughs> I think it needs a lot of clarification. I think it can sometimes be overused and sometimes simplified, right? Sometimes people just say how important self awareness is in this field. But countertransference is much more than being self reflective and self aware. It's really understanding oneself on a very, very deep level so that. If one understands what is being tapped into emotionally on the therapist side, then we're able to be armed with the ability to distinguish whether or not it's our stuff that's getting in the way from intervening with a client or relating to them, 
or if it is in fact something that the client is bringing into the relationship and is kind of a representation of what goes on in the outer world for the client. So let me, if I can, give my definition in a way or a conceptualization of transference and counter-transference that in a way that I try and help my students conceptualize. So uh, I say that we move through this world having had a lot of experiences as we were growing up with significant others and people in the broader community in our environment, whether it's schools, with peers, with teachers, with mentors, religious community, whatever it might be. And we take in those experiences and we make them our own, right? Meaning that if I had an extremely critical mother, I take in that messaging and I believe it, it becomes my self-perception. So that's what I mean by taking it in, internalizing it and making it my own. And then I move through the world externalizing that, right? Projecting that into the world, expecting others to receive me or respond to me in the same way. You know, staying on the student realm, um, one of the ways that I help my students understand this is to think about students who come into the classroom and are extremely quiet versus those who are extremely vocal. Now, I am an authority figure in a classroom just by the mere nature of probably having more knowledge about what I'm teaching than, than they are receiving. And also uh, because there's um, I'm evaluating. Right. So that that immediately propels me into a uh, authority, authority role. And so clients, if they had a critical parent or, you know, experienced bullying or whatever it might be that shaped them, may feel that they're. Uh, experiences, voices, opinions, perceptions, views aren't going to be well received. And so they stay quiet, right? Versus the ones who may have had more positive experiences and are free to express themselves. Now, obviously, that's not the only reason why somebody is quiet in the classroom. We don't want a one size fits all, but it's just an example. So when new clinicians, especially, are starting to tiptoe into this idea of transference and countertransference, where do they stumble? What are the what are the difficulties that they have in trying to use that within their clinical work? I'm I mean I'm someone who believes that anybody who's doing this work should probably have been on the other side of the couch and should have had their own experiences in therapy where they can become extremely emotionally attuned to themselves kind of understand how and why they think the way they do, feel the way they do, act the way they do, and move through this world the way that they do. A lot of folks don't do that internal work. And so when they approach work with clients, they don't have the ability, as I was saying earlier, to distinguish who are the feelings really coming from. And if I don't understand that, then I can't intervene in a way that's beneficial to the client. I might just be responding based on my intuitiveness or instinct or stuff I haven't worked out. So I think that that's a huge challenge when, I mean, one big theme I have amongst uh, beginners, certainly, and and a lot of seasoned folks too, is dealing with (laughs) confrontation, right? People don't like, I mean, it's like the ugly C word, the other ugly C word. It's, uh, you know, seen as mean, uh, cruel, hostile, and confrontation doesn't have to be. It's got a lot to do with tone, timing, um, context, right? But if one's own inner experience is having a lot of difficulty dealing with anger or upset, then somebody's going to avoid those kinds of uh, communications and conversations and again, you know, if somebody has a, a client who's upset about something, 
somebody might just impulsively respond, get defensive, or because of feeling anxious, may apologize. And that doesn't always serve the client. doesn't mean that a therapist can't be wrong and should apologize at times, but that's, that's the piece is that the therapist has to understand, am I apologizing because the client deserves my apology and I made a mistake or because I'm really scared of my client's anger? I want to go back for a moment on this, because especially talking with early career clinicians on this, some of the, I guess, stories that I hear, and even going back to some of the ways that I was taught about countertransference is that it's something to be avoided. It's something that is just like, this is bad, don't have it. And (laughs) so... You know, I I feel like, you know, this is probably not for all of our listeners here, but for other people who've just been kind of like, you know, countertransference is this bad thing. Don't go there. I feel like there's a step in the middle there that's like, okay, you're talking like, all right, notice this, be able to, you know, see where it's coming from, confront it. But for people who need kind of this corrective, like, no, this is something that happens. Here's how to notice it. What is it that you're hoping your students get out of going to therapy, being able to notice what, what their reactions are to things. As you're working in supervision, how do you point out countertransference as it comes up? Wow. First of all, I have to say, I have never heard that before. So that was really <laughs> full of surprises. Yes. <laughs> wow. That it's a bad thing and avoid it. I mean, to me, that's like avoiding your humanness. How do you do that? Oh, that was the whole blank slate thing, right? I mean, we were supposed to not actually exist as human beings in the room. Um, that Well, that's not how I understood the blank slate thing. The blank slate thing, uh, according to my understanding, is that... If we don't show our emotions, and we've moved a long way from there, at least I have, because I was trained uh, slightly in that way, psychoanalytically, is that if we showed our emotions, then we are getting in the way of the client's potential projections, their own transference. So let me back up a little. Transference, just just for those who who may be a little confused, transference is the client's projections onto the therapist. Counter-transference is the therapist's projections onto the client's. I think it wasn't about not having feelings because then we'd be dead, right? <laughs> it, it was about it was about really managing them. And Kurt, when you were you, you know when I was sitting in the midst of my silent shock as you were saying that, my mind was spinning to um, some other work I do, which is around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one of the things that I always begin with is it's not my goal for you not to have biases because then you wouldn't be human. It's my goal to have you understand and manage your biases and become more knowledgeable about what you're biased about so that hopefully those biases can shift. And it's kind of the same idea about countertransference is that if you're just acting without consciousness based on your life experiences and how other people have responded or related to you, and that's how we've developed our worldview, then if we just operate from the hip without understanding what is creating that, then I think that leads to really dysfunctional relationships. And if the dysfunctional relationship is with your client, it seems like that could be very, very harmful. I believe so. Or just uh, certainly not helpful. I guess it could be on a spectrum from not helpful to harmful, depending what you're acting out. 
Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. So how do you think countertransference should be taught? Like, what are the, you know, like, what are the things that we should understand about it? I'm, I'm hearing that there's a deep awareness. There's the understanding of what's mine, what's the clients, and then and moving forward with that. But then what? What do we do well, with that? <laughs> okay. I mean, to me, it's all about understanding. And, and sorry, Kurt, because I think you were also asking that, and I didn't get to that piece. So thank you, Katie, for raising that again, which is how do you teach it? What do you do with it? So when people are processing their experiences with their clients, whether it's in supervision or maybe sometimes they bring this stuff to therapy because it's touched something upon them, right? But if they bring it to supervision and they're talking about what happened, to me, it's imperative to say, well, how did that impact you? How do you feel about that? And also getting to how do you feel about your client? Is this a client that you look forward to seeing? If not, why not? If so, why? Because it's really important to be mindful of positive countertransference as well, because sometimes when we feel really aligned or identified or with someone or just like them, then we might not push them into the areas they need to go because we want to maintain that likability. Because not usually when we like somebody else, they like us. And it feels good to be liked. And so sometimes we don't want to mess with that. So I think, you know, teaching it, it sounds pretty simple, but a lot of people don't know how to do it, which is just to, and it's not about treating the therapist as a client. It's about just, again, treating them as a human being with emotions and acknowledging that they have them. And and how can we learn from them? And how can we see how that comes into interaction in their work with the client? I wonder how much of the... I guess disparity that it feels like is, you know, just as far as what Katie and my experience has been is, I don't know, the reputation that I've heard of kind of like the way that East Coast therapists tend to be trained is more in the psychoanalytic tradition. Out here on the West Coast, it seems like a lot more push towards CBT, a lot more humanistic kinds of things, which does include a lot more of creating space, at least on the humanistic side, for some of the therapist sort of stuff. But I'm not completely ignoring the psychoanalysts here on the West Coast, but <laughs> they don't seem to be as prevalent as on the East Coast. That's so, really curious. That's a I wonder why, you know, what do you make of that? <laughs> you know, I've never been asked why on this question before, but. Uh, <laughs> Kurt's been put on the spot. That's what I do, right? That's what I do. Where does this come from? What what makes it, this happen? It, it seems to me, I don't know, from the outside end of things, it seems like there's a, a lot more on the East Coast side of things that to remain more in the psychoanalytic traditions. 
maybe it's just the wild west out here where there's just kind of a little bit more freedom to pick and choose and do things but it does seem to me when i talk with uh, a lot more east coast clinicians that analysis as a part of training seems to be something that is more regularly done acknowledged and for us out here it does seem to lend to some of these things where even the supervisors don't push supervisees into looking at countertransference that it is something where it's the people who don't know leading the people who don't know and that's just kind of perpetuating some of the issues that you're talking about that's really interesting but also if you're not as inclined to be trained in psychoanalysis or psychodynamic psychotherapy and i think that there's a a bit of a difference. Um, and I think that we are moving more to psychodynamic from psychoanalytic because psychoanalytic once upon a time was considered something that you do several times a week. Right. And nobody has the time for that. Certainly on the East coast, <laughs> right? we're all, we're all running on to the next thing. So, uh, I think there has been a, a movement and even just evidenced by, uh, like when I went for my training, it was 10 years, 10 years uh, of training. Now you can do these programs in anywhere from two to four. So just that kind of speaks to an understanding that I think all of us are in a very different place in terms of also waiting for results, waiting for outcomes, waiting to feel better, you know, not as being able to tolerate the idea that therapy takes time. So there is also a lot of CBT out here on the East Coast. And I think for things like CBT, you don't probably need to be as self-aware because you're really offering tools and ways of doing things and trying to shift behaviors with some concrete tools. It's a different way of working. And I'll say that for myself over many years, I've become more eclectic in my work because I think that, as I'm saying, people have different abilities to tolerate, you know, not seeing the outcomes immediately, right? I think, I mean, we're a society uh, full of impulse control issues and needs for immediate gratification. <laughs> so you can either get on board or you can be, you know, working with your two clients a week. So instead of a full practice. So, you know, it's, it's, um, what was your, what was your question or was it? An I, I don't know. It was, it was more of an observation that there's just kind of, you know, in, in perpetuating maybe some of the problems that when it comes to actually acknowledging countertransference comes in, if you don't have great models in supervisors and colleagues and being able to look at it, then who's really pushing you to do the work? Who's teaching you to go in and do the things that make you uncomfortable or, you know, not be likable in, in therapy because you do have that countertransference to be liked by your client? Well, that makes complete sense, right? If you don't have a model for anything in this life, if you think about it, how do you know, right? How do you know? what to do, how to be, how to act, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Yeah, right on. I actually, on the West Coast, kind of grew up psychodynamic. That was, I was trained psychodynamically. And then I worked in community mental health and it was all behavioral, cognitive behavioral. And so I have, I think, grounding in both. And I, I feel like when we're talking, you're speaking to this awareness and and my impression and and so correct me if i'm wrong is that a lot of psychodynamic work is that if you are aware then change will happen and i think that the shift with cbt is you make behavior change and so there are specific behavioral changes that happen and and, and so i think that 
you know, Kurt and I shifting more into that behavioral thing. It's like, okay, well, what do I do with that awareness? What are the interventions that I have for myself when I am aware that I have this type of countertransference? And so that may not be the best question, you know, like, I don't know that we're going to get where we need to go with that question, but I think there's that element of, there's so much that I think we can be aware of. There's so so much nuance, especially if you're looking at what's the client's and what's mine. And then there's also what's ours together, you know, especially when there's so many differences and and so much lived experience and and expectation based on who we are and how we show up in the room, that it feels like it gets very complicated very quickly. And so I don't know if if, if maybe a case example would be helpful or or some way to really talk through how do I use this information effectively to be able to then work with my clients more effectively? First of all, that's a great question. And <laughs> it reminds me of my own therapy, right? That I was in for numerous years where I would often say, I'm aware, I'm aware, I'm aware, I'm aware. Now what? <laughs> right? Exactly, right? <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, and so I certainly understand that question and that feeling. And I think that the reality is that awareness does not lead to change. What awareness leads to is an ability to consider how you feel, how you move through this world, and that there's potential to shift what you know and what is familiar. And we tend to stay what is familiar with what is familiar because it's comfortable. Yeah. And so being pushed to consider options of either in your interpersonal issues, let's not say either, let's just focus on interpersonal issues because that seems to be what... I don't know. I'll just throw out some random number. 90% of the population is struggling with, right? So if you understand that you can move, think differently, feel differently, shift how you are receiving these messages based on countertransference. But so, okay, yes, I understand that I had a very critical mother, but that doesn't mean that that's how person A, B, and C is thinking about you as well and will receive you. Right. So I think that a lot of the progress in therapy is from the relationship between the client and the therapist. And it's kind of like an, a, cor a corrective emotional experience and being reparented because how the therapist responds to you, hopefully, is in a very different way than you've experienced, right, in your early life. And that is transformative, I think. So an example, I, I'm happy to give an example, but I have, I have several examples and I'm not sure which is the most helpful or, you know, if one really understands this stuff by really expounding on one deeply as opposed to a couple, but I'm going to try and see what happens and you can steer me where you like. So one example, I had a, a client recently who very close to my age, a little bit older, who has uh, an elderly mother, a little bit older than my surviving father. Her mother lived with her, was is living with her, and she was finding it extremely difficult to deal with her mother's dementia, which was mild because I think that's a, an extremely difficult thing is when a parent is in this new phase of functioning. And there is so much unresolved work with that parent that it's hard sometimes to see the dementia as dementia and not just as this critical parent or this annoying parent or, you know, doing and saying things that are completely inappropriate that has to do with the dementia as opposed to, you know, the person and whom they were and how they related to you growing up. 
Here's the thing is I completely identify with that because um, my mother passed away a couple of years ago from dementia and I did have a conflictual relationship with her. If you haven't been able to tell that <laughs> example <laughs> that I keep I keep rebounding to, uh, which is the critical parent. And and before I was aware of the diagnosis, right, there's this period in between where the behavior changes, but you can't quite place it and don't really know what's happening. So I was very angry and upset of, and would let her know that. Whereas I felt like later on, if I had an understanding of what was happening, I probably would have been a hell of a lot kinder to her. So what I was saying with my client was identifying with her frustration, right? That's not the countertransference, but the countertransference is seeing her response to her mother and getting really bothered by it um, mm. because it was tapping into how my mother would relate to me and understanding that. And also what was going on in the here and now right? With my own mother and feeling like, where is her empathy? And why can't she just tolerate the, and stop and intellectually understand what was happening with her mother? Well, she couldn't because the emotional piece was too large. And counter-transferentially, I was struggling with the exact same thing. So how did I have this expectation of her when I couldn't even live that myself? So that's one example. If I wasn't aware of what was happening, I would keep directing her to like be kinder to her mother, be more try is there any way that you can be more empathic towards her? Is there any way that you can communicate your needs to her, you know, blah blah blah, right? But no, her mother was limited. She couldn't do it. But when you're going through the same thing at the same time, it's very as you said before, um messy or clouded, right? So my knowing that, again, how what does awareness get you? My understanding intellectually that I was struggling with the exact same thing that she was, did that help me? Uh, yes, it did. Very much so. Because then I could process it outside of the therapy session, and that would arm me with the ability to go back the next time to be more understanding and patient and separate my experience from hers. How did you come to that realization? Like, can you walk through kind of what your expertise work in your own countertransference looks like in order to be able to identify that? Uh, that's a great question. And I honestly, my my gut reaction is no, I can't. Um, <laughs> and because because it be, it has become just such a part of me. And I think with anything, it's like the more you practice something it just made me think of a religion even though i'm so not religious right but like it's like it's self-awareness this understanding on this level is like a religion the more you practice it the more the easier it gets the less it becomes like a lesson and it just becomes a part of your system and and way of functioning i mean it is such a part of me that i do this in my friendships you know in my relationship it's it's sometimes a little overdone but I think on for the most part, it helps me to have healthier communications and more satisfying relationships. I guess my question is, what's the this? Is it just kind of paying attention? Is it asking yourself questions? Like what what is it that you're you're doing in it sounds like in all of your relationships to stay aware of your of your piece of it? It's almost like I'm uh, kind of inside myself and outside of myself at the same time. Do you ever have a conversation where as you're having it, you're kind of saying, why did I say this? Should I be saying this? 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is this the best route to be going? And if not, while it's happening, immediately after, I think we all, uh, you know, not we all, certainly don't all, a lot of us do that, but we do it in a very judgmental, self-critical way. And so I think that having done this as a process of therapy and a process of supervision and a process of training, it's been done with a kinder voice. So it just becomes kind of a reflexive process. It's like a muscle that you're working, I, I think. Um, I could, like you said earlier, you never, you know, you've never thought about this. You've never been asked this, or I've never been asked that question before. That was a great question and will certainly resonate after we are done uh, with this episode. But um, I hope that that helps a little bit in my trying to claim that. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Can I give one more example because I'm living this this very moment and so maybe you can help me, right? So maybe there's more to this than meets the eye, which again, like I'm aware that I'm feeling these things, but have I processed it? No, I haven't talked about it with anybody yet. So this week, we all know what's going on in Israel. I am Jewish. So that is my identity culturally. As I just said, I'm not religious at all. So I had a client and and a few clients this week who spent pretty much the entire session talking about uh, the horror and the devastation and their own identity and how this is impacting them. So it's very heavy right now. I am holding them emotionally and I am trying to manage the same feelings that are coming up in me that I've already been aware of before these sessions, but that is being deeply tapped into while they are speaking. So with one of my clients just this morning, she had recently broken up with a boyfriend and she's really kind of experiencing that sense of loss. And she alluded to that. So, you know, here's where I am this week. I'm still, I was doing really well and now I'm struggling with that, but then kind of launches into this whole thing about Israel. And I'm hearing that the theme is loss, right? And then I'm hearing that she feels attacked at work by a supervisor. She had her evaluation and the way that the feedback was delivered. So what do we have here? We have themes of loss and attack, right? So these everyday life things, right, are coming into this much bigger picture of what she's presenting. And I'm feeling an immense sense of loss. And I'm thinking, as this is happening, what is going on with me? right? I do not have any loss right now in my life, but um, abstractly, the loss I'm experiencing is, I think, vicariously through other people, as well as feeling like I'm being attacked. So the loss and attack that I'm identifying with her, I'm experiencing. The attack is in that um, this is a very, uh, she's feeling attacked, sorry, by her boss, for example, right? in the way that her feedback was delivered. And it's feeling very personalized. And that's what this Israeli uh, Israel issue is feeling like, right? It's, 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 it's not feeling like it is an attack. So what what is it tapping into me? One is the identification with profound sadness with the state of affairs, right? And the shared cultural identity. But the counter-transference and Identification and projection are parts of countertransference. But the part of the countertransference that is tapping into my stuff 
is this sense of aloneness. And there's the loss, the sense of aloneness in people not really understanding the magnitude of one's, or in this case, my experience, right? So, and this for me personally is a persistent challenge I have in people not knowing how to listen. So here I am as a therapist, I think I'm pretty good at it. I think that this is what draws people to me outside of my profession, my ability to listen, my ability to empathize, my ability not to, you know, jump in with how I'm feeling, right? Or my own personal example or silver lining the situation, but being really attuned. And I don't think I've ever been aware until the last several years that it sure as hell would be nice sometimes to get that back. And I'm now coming to the point uh, that if I have friendships where it's not reciprocal, not all the time, certainly, it doesn't have to be, you know, 50-50, but um, if it is not generally reciprocal, I'm not sure I'm interested anymore. So the counter-transference here has been in this sense of loss experienced by the client tapped into in me, which is represented not parallel-wise by me losing through death, right, or loss of a relationship, uh, physically, but emotionally loss and aloneness in that way. Um, and the upset, right, that she's feeling about the horror of what's going on in Israel is being translated in me as I'm listening equally to the horror, trust me, but also with upset or anger at those friends who haven't reached out. So. That was a very kind of long-winded, perhaps, or, or deep uh, uh, analysis of what might be going on for me. And to tell you, how do I know that? Or, how, you know, all I can say is I'm telling you just what I'm feeling. That's mm -hmm. really all I can say. And the processing of that needs to happen. I think I need to do more work around that by speaking to a colleague, right, like a peer supervision group that I have and putting that out there so that I can look for other aspects of what I might be feeling and how that might play into how I respond or don't respond or potentially avoid things that the client needs to look at or process or have space for. It seems like to me that there's so much that has, you know, there's so many elements of what you have been experiencing in this this moment of time and and then also the parallel experiences of your client and and as as you were talking i was i was hearing the attempt to not over identify or to to engulf kind of your client's experience into your own experience of what's happening in the world at large but also recognizing that some of the the topics that she's touching on are are resonating for things that are related but unrelated and so being able to really explore what are my emotional needs right now and how do I take care of those so that I can be fully present for this client that is in this same global crisis, global horror, whatever we want, however we want to describe it, but also has these other unrelated but related in a, in a way situations that, the, that it's bringing up for her. I feel like in, in what, when you were talking, it was like there's so much that's that's kind of attached to your experience that it being able to sort that out to be able to really understand your client's experience and, and all the things that are attached to her experience, it becomes much harder when your emotions are so big and so huge. 
And so to be able to to explore it and say, okay, I need to get my needs met here, or I need to do this outside of therapy is really powerful. Um, we're running low on time, but I, this is a really interesting conversation to me. So I have, I have another question. It's it's something where as a human and in that moment with whether there's shared identity, shared grief, shared trauma, is there a way to recognize and 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 tease out countertransference in a way that you can use it as a connection here? Because it also feels like there could be a sense of shared experience that could be helpful in the therapy room, but but if only if you can kind of tease it away from the things that would not be helpful to the client. You hit it right on the head is that only if you can tease it away, right? And so one of the things that I always say is that if you use your counter-transference and by use it, I think that it's important to distinguish between self-disclosure and use of self, right? Use of self is being aware of what's happening in you and how can you use that to direct what the client, uh, you know, direct uh, an intervention or uh, an approach to what the client needs. Self-disclosure is exactly how it sounds, right? Is that I'm going to share something of myself with the client in hoping that she will feel a sense of connection or feeling understood. But I just want to make it very clear that I think that there are lots and lots of ways of conveying empathy and that one understands without having to self-disclose. So I'm not big on self-disclosure, perhaps because I was trained psychoanalytically. Um, (laughs) um, And so, as you said, the blank slate, right? And I think I've come a long way from kind of positioning myself with that blank slate um, to just being more of who I am, you know, and sometimes using humor and just letting my personality show a little bit. And still clients feel like, I really don't know anything about you. And I think, but you know the way that I relate. You know how I'm going to respond, right? You don't necessarily know the intimate details of things. But going back to your question, how you can use that shared experience without it being overshadowed by countertransference, I guess. Right. So interestingly enough, this very morning, uh, I did uh, struggle in my head with, should I share? Should I share? Should I share? And I did self-disclose um, this the magnitude of what I was feeling in an effort to help her create space that she needs to share her feelings and her need uh, for understanding with her friends because she is the caregiver. And so I, you know, related that, you know, I, I actually, this is something that I strive to work on too and doesn't go away overnight. And it's about making room for yourself and the idea that uh, people actually want to hear you and consider that you might actually depriving somebody who is a true friend from being able to help you in the way that you help them. And um, that it would actually be a gift to somebody who wants to help you in that way. And for the friend that doesn't, well, maybe it's a consideration of, do you want to continue to be friends with that person? So I really pulled directly on my very recent experience of this and gave it to the client. And she actually thanked me. And for me, that was probably transformative for me in a way that, again, I have not processed yet, is to be able to share myself with a client, have it well-received, and even find it helpful. And there, yet again, is another parallel process to my own life, Mm -hmm. right, with um, hoping and wanting others to receive me in that way. So that's why I always say, if we think we go into this profession to heal others, we are mistaken. We do go in to heal others, but we are 50% of the equation. And I think that's the luxury of this work is that I get to grow professionally and personally as I'm helping others to, you know, feel more satisfied with their lives. So yeah, thanks for asking that question. That was a good one. (laughs) 
So to kind of wrap up here, what would you recommend for people to continue to do to further develop their own countertransference work? Um, okay, go to therapy. <laughs> I haven't said that already, right? Or insinuated that. Uh, go to supervision, right? Because there is a distinction. And um, be open to sharing your work. Because I think it's also very scary to share our work because it makes us feel vulnerable and we're showing sides of ourselves and our professional uh, self. And we're open to critique. Um, but this is, you know, this is a field where you kind of can't separate separate being assessed uh, by, I always try and kind of make the analogy to the business world where your boss is your boss. They tell you that you're doing well or that you're not doing well, what needs to be improved. And when we go to supervision in this field, um, we are going to someone hopefully with more expertise or really just another lens. And even though we might be being evaluated, we can't really grow unless we expose ourselves in a way that allows us to understand who we are as we're doing this work. Yeah, it's hard work. You know, doing this work is hard work. It's hard work because of the emotional drain, because of the processing that I'm doing in my own head as much as I'm being there for the client. So I'm holding their stuff. I'm holding my stuff. I need somewhere to put that. So that's another reason why going to therapy and supervision is really, really important. And I also think that reading is really, really important. When you read other case scenarios and examples and people who are talking about doing this work in this way, you're going to build your insight. And that's what it's about. That's what I think it's about, at least if you are working in this way. You know, the, these are the things you don't need to do if you're doing CBT or working, um, you know, uh, with dialectical behavioral therapy and, and other ways. And, you know, if that works for you, then that's fantastic. And if it's an evidence-based practice that shows to be successful, then why not? This is a specific way of working. Where can people find out more about you and your work and your podcast? Ah, well, thank you. So I have a website. It's amymyersphd.org. Um, I have information about myself. I have a blog and my po podcast is also can be found there. But my podcast, What Would Dr. Myers Do? is available on most streaming sources. And um, what we do is we I speak with uh, other therapists, beginners and seasoned, and we talk about different aspects of the work and we talk about their counter-transference. And I think that even though it is situated to help people become more aware and more reflective in their work, the topics that we cover are really applicable to anybody as we move through you know, this life and try and grapple with our own reality. And I think that it, it I'm, I think and I hope that it provides a pathway towards uh, greater self-discovery and insight. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing in our disbelief in the way that countertransference differs from one place to another. But... <laughs> We will share links to your stuff in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com and follow us on our social media. Join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, to continue on this discussion. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and Dr. Amy Myers. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. 
Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.